how to start? Well, you know, it's just writing. I mean, here's something important to remember about dialogue. Every word matters. No, it doesn't. They're bottom. I want to go to this place that I think it needs to go to. The only thing that counts is what you see on the screen. I will write like four or five, six hours a day. And it will be a voice made of ink and rage. Okay, I'm, re I'm really glad you asked me that question. Welcome to the Creative Principles Podcast. I'm your host, Brock Swinson. Over the past 200-plus episodes, I've had the good fortune of speaking with dozens of screenwriters, actors, and directors, such as Aaron Sorkin, Mel Brooks, Carrie Fukunaga, Whitney Cummings, Michael Imperioli, and William Monaghan, among others. We've dissected ideas on story, character, filmmaking, habits, and various principles for creative life. If this is your first time listening, make sure to hit that subscribe button on iTunes or SoundCloud. You can also find several of these interviews on the Creative Screenwriting Magazine website, in addition to some that aren't available in audio, such as with Nick Kroll or Stephen Merchant. In addition to the podcast, also make sure to search for the new video essay series on YouTube, also called Creative Principles, where we take a deep dive into movies and television. Join millions of viewers for subjects like the 16 personalities expressed as characters, Did Home Alone, Rowan John Hughes' Career, The Greatest Movie Never Made, and How Jackie Chan Creates Perfection Through Failure, among many more. That's Creative Principles on YouTube. Actor Joseph Gordon-Levitt is best known for his role as Tommy on Third Rock from the Sun and for movies like 500 Days of Summer, Inception, 5050, The Dark Knight Rises, Looper, Lincoln, and Snowden. In this interview, we discuss Joseph's work as a writer-director, mainly on the film Don John and the new series Mr. Corman. In the 2013 movie that co-stars Scarlett Johansson, a New Jersey guy dedicated to his family, friends, and church develops unrealistic expectations from watching porn and works to find happiness and intimacy with his potential true love. In the new series Mr. Corman, the story follows the life of public school teacher in San Fernando Valley. In addition to creating the series for Apple, Joseph also stars as Josh Corman on the show alongside co-stars like Deborah Winger, Juno Temple, and Arturo Castro. During this interview, Joseph talks about how underlying themes create characters, luck versus hard work, adapting stories to include real-world events, balancing a multitude of creative urges with hit record, and how to write dialogue actors actually want to read. I think in, in actually both cases of, of Don John and Mr. Corman, as far as starting with theme, um, with Don John, uh, it started with sort of the theme of, of I guess, objectification of, uh, of a person who um, treats each other, treats other people as things. Mm. Um, and, uh, and that manifests in him being uh, addicted to pornography, but then it also manifests in all these other facets of, of his life. And it's sort of in that way, kind of a classic character study. Both both Don John and Mr. Corman, they're very much quote unquote character studies. They're more that than they are uh, plot driven. Um, and, uh, and so with Don John, I just started thinking through, okay, what are all the different facets of his life and how would this same theme of treating people like things apply um what would that mean with his family what would that mean with his friends uh what would that mean uh, with his religion or spirituality uh what would that mean 
uh, in his life, in his love life, if he had a, a girlfriend. Um, and that's where, you know, these scenes came up of, you know, with his family or with his friends or with, you know, Scarlett playing his girlfriend and how that relationship doesn't work out, et cetera. Um, and, uh, and with Mr. Corman, uh, the, the underlying theme that a lot of it came from was sort of, uh, this question about luck versus choice, uh, and how do you end up, um, living the life that you live and how do you, and how do you feel about, about that life that you're living? Um, and, uh, and, and that came from me sort of just beginning by thinking about my own life. Um, Mr. Corman, I guess you could, I don't know if it's actually interesting. Sorry, am I rambling? No, that's good. <laughs> okay. Well, I don't, I think that that theme might not have been the total starting point. Um, I think that theme arrived, but it really started more, uh, it started more by me just wanting to write something that was kind of, kind of about myself. Um, I usually gravitate to characters that are really different from myself. And Don John was me playing a character that was in many ways very different from myself. And, uh, and with Mr. Corman, I, I, I had recently become a dad and was thinking a lot about my own life and was feeling so grateful for the life I was leading, grateful for my partner and my kid and my parents and my work and my health, et cetera. And, um, and I, I started coming up with the character of Mr. Corman because I, all of that gratitude begged this question, did I just get lucky how much of this did i earn and how much did i just luck into and the more i asked myself that the more i thought like i think a lot of it actually was i <laughs> just getting lucky and um and so i started sort of taking my own life and and changing certain things like what if what if i hadn't been so lucky to have met the perfect partner for me that i could fall in love with and start a family with or what if i i wasn't so lucky to have two positive healthy, nourishing parents. And instead I had one positive parent and one who was causing more problems. Or what if in my work life, I hadn't had the lucky breaks to get to be an artist for a living? What would I do? And I always loved teaching and I admire teachers greatly. And so, uh, so I made him a teacher and, um, th that was sort of the beginning of that character and, and this show. But some people have kind of said this is your return to TV, obviously referencing Third Rock. It's very different from that. Do you see this as kind of a middle ground of TV and movies? Because you've got long takes, which are more for movies, but you've also got a multitude of ideas. And then on top of that, does it matter necessarily what order these are viewed in? Or is, is plot less important about watching a show like this? Good question. Uh, you, so you're absolutely right. This is not a conventional TV show. It's certainly not a conventional sitcom like Third Rock from the Sun. Uh, it's not conventional comedy where it's set up, set up, punchline, set up, set up, punchline. It is more cinematic in how we shot it. But you're also right that it is, um, it's a series and it's episodic in that uh, a feature generally has one thing to say, or I think many of my favorite ones they, they they really have this one central idea and all of the other 
ideas all ladder up to this one. Whereas in a series, uh, I feel like I, I enjoy when I'm watching a series, I enjoy tangents. I enjoy like, oh, here's an episode where we're going to talk about, uh, you know, masculinity. Okay. The show isn't all about masculinity, but like episode five of Mr. Corn and Mr. Corman is a lot about that. Um, and so that's a difference, but I, I think it's the, the process of making it was much more like making, uh, movies than, than making third rock from the sun. Uh, and as, and as far as the order, I think there's definitely an order that I, uh, that we intended. And I think if you watch it in that order, it does build up into something. And there is a, a coming of age, you know, growth that happens with the character. But you're also right that if you watched the last one first, it probably, you'd probably still like it. Maybe it's more like an album in that way, you know, like, a an album's usually even the concept, even like, I don't know, Dark Side of the Moon or whatever, that's a concept album. It's great if you listen to the whole thing in order, but you could also listen to it out of order. Whereas I've seen through episode eight, which I think is where we're caught up with, with Apple. Mm -hmm. Was it always intended? I think the first one, the background says like it's August, 2019, but was it always going into this guy with anxiety is eventually going to have to deal with like the coronavirus or was that, did the ending change some while you were making it everything? Well, I, I first started, uh, the, the first script that I wrote, the first version of the script I wrote in 2018. So, um, yeah, it was definitely not always conceived that there would be a pandemic, but, um, we were three weeks into production when in March of 2020, when we shut down and we ended up doing some rewriting and the conclusion we arrived at was this is actually really relevant to the story that we're telling It's a story about a character who catastrophizes. And so it made sense in the last three episodes of the season to show a huge scale global catastrophe and see how he deals with it. And um, so we decided to, to not shy away. Did your work with Hit Record, which is, I'll let you talk about more of that if you like, but did your work with Hit Record and all those collaborators kind of lead to like, I want to put music in this, I want to put some different types of backgrounds and like more imagination type things there? Because it seems like some of that artwork is maybe similar to some of those collaborations we've seen in, in the book that you guys came out with and things like that. Yeah, very much so. Yeah, and I'm, I'm delighted you brought it up and thank you. Um, We've done a, a bunch of those kind of green screen short films on Hit Record where we'll shoot actors in front of a green screen and then lots of different illustrations or, or photographs or other visual elements get um, are, are, are animated and collaged together to form the background. Um, and so we got to do that uh, in, a, in a more sort of refined and, and less pastiche and DIY way. Um, <clears throat> I think I've, I've just got a really, uh, eclectic taste in, um, in the, the things I like to do. Um, I really enjoy, you know, 
getting to play around in all these different areas, like in music or like in collage or things like that. And so um, Hit Record for me, a lot of what it's been has been an outlet for me to do creative things that I wouldn't normally get to do in conventional entertainment industry stuff. Um, and even more importantly, getting to do it together with people who, um, who are not necessarily part of the conventional entertainment industry. And I think that, that created a feedback loop for me, um, over the years that I've been doing it. Cause I've, I've been, I've been, uh, part of this hit record community now for so long that I think my own tastes then bounce off this wide diverse variety of of people's perspectives and tastes and and creations and and it's uh, evolved into into me yeah really kind of liking all these liking to do all these different things and and Mr. Corman is um <laughs> in many ways an amalgamation of a lot of those uh creative urges of mine <laughs> So tell me a little, you know, as your time as an actor and as a writer, you've, I'm sure you've read thousands of screenplays. When you're hiring for the writer's room for this new series, what stood out? Is it gut instinct or are there more like tangible things that you could maybe give advice about how to pick the real good writers or the relevant writers for you? For me, it, it really, I know this isn't the most useful answer. It really does come down to an intuition that's, I think, comes from just having like you said, read so many scripts and not just read them, but, uh, but acted them. Hmm. That's maybe some, some advice I could give to any writer is, um, act. That's how I write. When I, when I write, I don't sit and type. I walk all around this room and act and I kind of act out, you know, all the characters and do it again and try takes and like, it's, there's a lot of acting before there's any writing <laughs> and and it's it's uh it, it, when i end up saying something that sounds right to me then i run back to the keyboard and write that down real quick and then i get back up and and keep acting um uh so i don't know maybe that's not the right approach for everybody but it makes sense it it, it it's how, how i do it cuz that's what i've done my whole life and and so I guess the instincts that I've built up over the years of of acting in movies and you know hearing from directors what's good and what's not good or getting to act in front of an audience on like you mentioned Third Rock from the Sun and you know getting to do that for years and kind of getting a feel for oh this is this is what will make them laugh uh, that won't make them laugh if you want them to laugh you have to time it like this you have to land it like that and. Um, I I don't know that I could <laughs> it's hard to put into words a lot of those feelings it just comes from like kind of having done it but um but I think that even if you haven't gotten to uh, act in shows and stuff if you're just someone who loves watching movies or who loves reading good books or whatever if you do that enough you will build up your own taste and your own instincts and um I think the the human mind is an incredible thing that will that will deliver you those those feelings and intuitions if you feed it enough input 
what else is kind of so for the ones uh, listening to this or reading this you're in a room with there's drums behind you and some other gear and that type of things like it's almost like the uh, room Bo Burnham made his last special in during the, the virus and everything I like still that. have to see this everyone's been talking about this I can't <laughs> wait to see it yeah tell me a little like what else are you kind of doing like are you are you kind of bouncing between creative tests do you go play the drums do you mentally shift if you're writing between Josh Corman and his mom which character you're coming from like what else are you doing there to get some of this on the page i i do play drums sometimes especially if if it's if it's not if i'm not feeling it or if i'm if i'm stuck or or anything the drums are great because they're very physical um i also find like uh going running or walking really really helps it's it's almost funny how how often that helps because you'd think what does running have to do with this problem i'm trying to solve in my brain but man it does like some for some reason you like work up a sweat and get your heart rate up and uh and all of a sudden new ideas come in that weren't coming before um and so the drums do that too and um yeah i mean this room <laughs> if i'm if i'm totally honest is uh this is like my, you know, my my fourteen year old uh, wish room, and it's I I I don't <laughs> I don't think I'm too extravagant in my life. Generally, I don't like spend, um, I don't spend a lot of money on a lot of things, but this room I probably spent way too much money. On. <laughs> this is my this is my like oh, I made I made money in show business, and I'm going to make a soundproof room. Um, yeah, uh, but it, but it does, like you said, it, it it does when I'm writing in here. It does help to be able to like bang on the drums or, you know, sit down and sing a song that no one's ever gonna hear. And it's not for that. It's just for like the way that it kind of um, shakes up my head. So tell me, you've worked with some iconic directors, Christopher Nolan, Ron Johnson, Oliver Stone, Redford. I think was in your your first movie. Um, are there lessons you learned on set that that specifically come to mind when you're directing now or writing something? Oh yeah, yeah, all the time. Um, I'm trying to think of a good one. I mean, most of the things that I've learned on set apply more to directing than to writing. But I would also say, sorry, I'm just thinking out loud here, that for me, writing is inextricably tied up with acting and directing. Uh, when I'm writing, I'm all, I'm, I'm not just, I don't, uh, when I'm writing, it doesn't feel like I'm writing a piece of writing. Uh, it feels like I'm making a plan for, uh, for a show or a movie. And that's, probably important thing uh, an important thing to say on on a podcast about screenwriting is and you've probably heard this before um a screenplay is not literature uh, i mean it can be literary it it you know and it can be a beautiful thing to read but as uh, an actor and uh i i always find it like 
a, a sort of a telling sign of a less experienced writer if it feels like I'm reading a book or it feels like I'm reading something that the writer's like very kind of pleased with their prose and things like that in stage directions or whatever. Um, the it's a screenplay is a plan. It's a it's a blueprint, and um, the actors are going to make it their own. The director is going to make it their own, and uh, that's not in any way to diminish what a screenwriter does. That it is the blueprint. It's the that's the that's what the movie's going to be, um, but it's it's not what the audience is going to experience, um, and so. Uh, if if you want to write for your audience, if you want your your audience to experience your writing, don't write screenplays. You know, write short stories, write novels, write poetry, write whatever it is you want to write. Write something for readers. Write blog posts. Um, if if you want to write screenplays, you I think it's really important to acknowledge this is the first step in a collaborative creative process with many 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 other people and have have them in mind um because uh because it, it, the script is is everything to all of us that we're using while we're while we're doing it um i don't know if that answers your question yeah, at all definitely. but it, well, i'm always curious about like are there any common problems you see in screenplays like i've heard some directors say they hate seeing you know camera angles suggestions and things like that is there Anything like that people should avoid that maybe they're getting taught to do? Yeah, I mean, so a lot of, well, really, all the screenplays I've written so far, I I was able to direct. So I will occasionally, I'm pretty, I don't usually do it, but sometimes I will say what I am imagining the camera doing. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, you're right, not usually. Um, there's I'm kinda, a I'm kind of curious like how did you describe those backgrounds and things in your script did you write or did you just write an imaginary type thing did you go into those details not very much detail at all right. no I, I just said you know we enter a fantastical world made of yeah, made of various symmetry yeah uh, yeah so I didn't know that um, you know that the uh, the walkway up to Josh's mom's house was going to be made of a crossword puzzle. That's not the screenwriter's job to, to know that that's, that's where you have to be collaborative with all these other artists that are going to contribute to the final thing. Nice. Tell me a little, um, I'm not sure if you're, how you're going to think about this question, but you've been around for 25 years. We've seen you. Do you think about career longevity? Do you just get advice from like, actors writers directors you respect or is it more like project to project how do you think about some of these things um usually if i if i do think about career longevity it just makes me nervous and and nothing productive comes out of that train of thought um i'm i i'm i'm more think of um kind of what's in front of me now uh and try to follow something like kind of, I guess, honest about whatever I'm feeling. Um, I mean, I guess it depends on what we mean by that. When I, uh, for example, when I finished Third Rock from the Sun, um, 
I knew I, I didn't want to do another sitcom and I didn't want to do another, like, uh, I had also been in 10 things I hate about you. And so I had voices saying like, get on another sitcom. You could make a lot of money or let's, let's have you do another, um, you know, uh, high school romance kind of thing. But I don't think I was thinking about career longevity per se. I just was really not interested in or not inspired to do those things. I was, I really had this urge to, to be in, to challenge myself in other ways and, and be in like, you know, quote unquote Sundance kind of movies. And yeah. that's what I said about trying to do. And that was really difficult because no one saw me that way. And, and I went for quite a while without getting a part. And that's actually when I started doing hit record was out of that kind of pain and, and rejection of wanting to do something specific creative and not being able to do it. But, um, yeah, it didn't come from, I had no, in hindsight, people said like, wow, that was a, that was a really shrewd career move you made. And I, it wasn't, that was not my experience of it. Maybe I should make more shrewd career moves. You know, I probably would have avoided some uh, missteps that I've made, but I don't know. I, uh, I don't know if I would, I don't know if I know how to do that. Like, I feel like if I actually tried to zoom out and be like, hmm, what would be the the smart long-term career move here? I'd probably be just as likely to be wrong as right. Right. So I, I think like with the time you talked about, that kind of led to Brick and your relationship with Ron Johnston and, and a series of movies after that. I mean, did, when they were telling you for the 10th time to go take this similar role or the sitcom or whatever, how did you just, you just couldn't, you couldn't say yes, or what kind of kept you on that path that you were dedicated to? Well, I mean, for one thing, if I, to be really honest, I, one thing that allowed me to do that was I had made some money on right. third rock from the sun. So I could afford to not be working, uh, so that's part of it, just yeah. the simple practical matter. Um, but yeah, I just, I just didn't want to do that other stuff. I, and I just said no. Um, and then I, I remember when I read Brick, it was so weird. I was like, what is this? I kept thinking that something, I remember the very first time I read that script, I remember where I was in in this apartment that i had i was living in new york at, at the time and uh you know lying on this um cheap ass futon and uh and being like is is there gonna be a ghost is there gonna be is something supernatural gonna happen everyone this is such a strange world what is this and i got to the end and there wasn't any ghost and i just started reading it again right away and like, oh, this is, uh-huh. And it, it wasn't until I'd kind of seen it in its totality that I was like, oh, this is just, this is a, this is like a mystery. And the funny thing is it says it right on the cover of the Brick script. Ryan Johnson on, on the covers of all of his scripts, uh, it he says what genre they are. And on the cover of the Brick script, it said a detective movie by by Ryan Johnson. And on the cover of Brothers Bloom, it says a con man movie by Ryan Johnson. And, and I think on Looper, it says, I think it says a science fiction or it might say a time travel. I forget. Anyway, it said it right on the cover of the script. But, you know, 
when things are are out of the box, sometimes it takes a second, I guess, to to register. Mm. Um, and uh, yeah, I just I loved it so much. I just loved this dialogue that he wrote. Like you know, if you going back for a second to the the connection between writing and acting, it just instantly made me want to stand up and start saying the words. And, and that's that's the kind of uh, intuition I like to try to follow. We'll just do maybe um, one or two more. So I think you've, Mr. Corman's out. It's around episode eight. Got another project coming out called Wingman, which I'm sure you can't talk too much about yet. But how do you kind of balance multiple projects at one time? Like the mind shift of I'm writing this, directing this, acting this. Like, is it hard for you to switch hats and that type of thing? Um. I, I find that challenge really stimulating. And like I said, I, I, to me, they're all so connected. Um, writing it and acting it and directing it, the, it's, I don't really see those as three separate processes. Mm. Uh, so yeah, I don't know. I guess, like you asked, switching between projects, that, that can be difficult, but it can also be refreshing. Um, I guess I, I do that because I find it inspiring and I enjoy the eclectic uh, contrast. That's probably, but I don't know that everybody feels that way, and I wouldn't necessarily say that everybody should do that. But you have to just kind of pay attention to yourself and, and what works for you. Just do uh, one more. You've given a lot of great advice already. I think one big thing is, is screenwriters should like learn how to talk to actors, get inside the the mind of the character, maybe more so, and and make things people want to get up and literally say out loud. But mm -hmm. any other piece of advice you might have for screenwriters trying to break in today or just get a script noticed? The advice I would really give is probably not to frame it that way in your mind. Uh, if your goal that you set out for is I'm going to try to break in and get noticed. To me, you're likely that's going to lead to something less than honest. Mm -hmm. uh, I would, I would more advise any artist, whether it's a screenwriter or anybody else to do your best to ignore any of those voices and go into Go, go as deep as you can into yourself and really, really, and this can, this isn't something you can do quickly necessarily. This is a, perhaps a long and arduous process that takes patience, but really try to find what it is that you want to say and why you want to say it. And what would make you feel like you are being the most you, uh, regardless of what anybody else might think about that? Forget about Hollywood, forget about your dad, <laughs> you know, forget like, forget about everybody and just try to, um, yeah to be alone there uh, especially writing is is you know i mean i guess there's also collaborative writing okay but um 
but yeah, I, I, I think that's probably the thing I would, I would focus on. And, 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 and there's a couple reasons why one is if you honestly, honestly do that, you will probably produce something that is more unique and compelling, which is what audiences are drawn to. But also if you do that, you will make yourself happier and uh, have a more meaningful and fulfilling experience as an artist. And the brutal truth about like success in show business is most of it comes down to luck. And I, I say that uh, knowing full well that I've, I've been lucky to uh, have some success in show business and I really do attribute most of it to luck. Even though I've worked hard, uh, a lot of people work hard. And not everybody gets the lucky breaks. So I think it's a bit of a it's a bit of a cursed road if you're staking your 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 worth on the kind of external rewards you can get from success in show business. Um, if you want to be an artist, be an artist. And um, that's something separate from show business. The show business part will come or it won't come. And the, you don't really get to control that that much. And what you definitely shouldn't do is let that get into your more sacred and pure creative process. Thank you for tuning in to the show. If it's your first time listening, make sure to hit that subscribe button and visit my new website for information on the YouTube channel, the blog, the podcast, and my new book, Ink by the Barrel, which takes advice from these 200 plus interviews and more at brockswinson.com. You'll see the link in the show notes. Thanks again.